This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review, heard every Sunday at noon on AM 740 Zoomer Radio. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by Chartwell Seniors Housing, making people's lives better. Hello, I'm Libby Snymer. Welcome to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I think it's massively important for a Minister of the Crown to stand up in Parliament and say, look, the crime of elder abuse is abhorrent and I'm going to do something about it. That's Susan Eng talking about the announcement of stiffer sentences for elder abuse. On today's show, I'll be joined by the Minister of Justice, Rob Nicholson. He'll explain how the new law will help stamp out this terrible and all-too-common crime. And all week long, Toronto has been captivated by the spectacle that is Fashion Week. But it's an industry known for embracing youth and ignoring our Zoomer demographic. I'll talk to Suzanne Boyd, editor-in-chief of Zoomer magazine, about whether that's changing. Fly me to the moon. And it was on this day in 1939 that Frank Sinatra made his first studio recording. We'll take a listen to that historic song and have a few interesting facts about old blue eyes. But first, here are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. The quality of home care is a big issue for us and for the rest of the world. A new study by a UK consumer group has labeled the standards of in-home care in the United Kingdom shocking and disgusting. The findings are based on both surveys of patients and diaries they kept. The most common complaint was missed or rushed visits. Nearly half of the respondents said visits had been missed in the last six months with no notice given. The investigation also uncovered cases of food being left out of reach, medication not given, and people being left in soiled beds. The study is just the latest in a series of disturbing findings. Last year, the Equality and Human Rights Commission said the standards were so bad they even breached human rights. The UK government has acknowledged these problems and says there are plans to overhaul the system with better funding. Earlier this week, the Indian government made a groundbreaking ruling allowing a local firm to produce a vastly cheaper copy of a cancer drug made by the German pharmaceutical giant Bayer. India's patents chief ruled that the price Bayer was charging in the country was exorbitant and ordered Bayer to give a license to manufacture the medicine to the Indian company Natco Pharma. The drug is used to extend the lives of advanced kidney and liver cancer patients. Patients' groups said... The decision could pave the way for a rush of other compulsory license applications in India and potentially in other poor nations, allowing access to patented life-saving drugs at a fraction of the cost. French surgeon Jacques Beres has spent a lifetime operating in war zones around the world. And at 71 years old, he's still putting himself in the line of danger to help others. Back in February, Beres smuggled himself into the battered Syrian city of Homs for two weeks, setting up a makeshift hospital in a home where he operated on 89 people, mostly the elderly and children. 
This week, he spoke of the ordeal at a human rights meeting in Geneva. He said the carnage in Syria is among the most horrific he's ever seen, calling it mass murder. Beres is a co-founder of the organization Doctors Without Borders and has spent time working in places like Vietnam, Rwanda and Iraq. And finally, an 80-year-old driver in South Africa has been praised as a sterling example in a country with one of the world's worst road safety records. Hazel Suma from Cape Town got her driver's license 62 years ago and has not received a single traffic fine. To honor her, the government awarded her with a certificate celebrating her safe driving record and called for stricter punishments for people committing traffic offenses. An average of 40 people are killed on the roads on any given day in South Africa. Those are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. I'm Libby Snymer. And you're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review. It's a crime that's physical, emotional, and financial. I'm talking about elder abuse, and the numbers are shocking. One in ten seniors is a victim. Only three in ten cases are reported. This week, the Harper government introduced legislation to mandate tougher sentences. I sat down with Justice Minister Rob Nicholson when he was in town for the announcement. Minister Nicholson, thanks so much for joining us. Good to be with you. First of all, can you please explain the new legislation that is promising tougher sentences for elder abuse? We're adding the whole area of elder abuse uh, to the aggravating factor. So if an individual gets convicted of a crime, this will be one of the circumstances that will be taken into account. And what we say in there is that if uh, if you've attacked an individual because of their age, the courts are to take into consideration the personal situation of the individual, their health, their financial situation as one of the aggravating factors. Uh, Aggravating factors have been in the criminal code Uh, for quite some time. Uh, For instance, if you uh, attack somebody under the age of 18, uh, that's another age factor. And so what we're doing is we are expanding the aggravating factors uh, so that we more properly and better uh, connect uh, the the sentence to to what has actually taken place. And uh, that's uh, the situation of elder abuse. Shouldn't there be a guideline of uh, the length of sentence, the number of years for a case of elder abuse? Uh, many times we do provide um, guidance. I mean, there are different, uh, different ways in which you can abuse um, a, a senior, and there's different uh, provisions under the cr- criminal code. Uh, they all have maximum sentences, and in some cases we've provided minimum sentences. Uh, in the particular change that we've made today, we're asking the courts that when you do sentence, here is one of the considerations that you have to take place. Today's announcement was about directing the courts to have consistency when it comes to the abuse of seniors. There has been a little bit of criticism that it wasn't specific enough. Again, it... We don't exactly put an age on these things. You know, we don't say that it's at 62 uh, you can be abused as a senior or whether you're 82. What we say to the courts is take into consideration the age of this person, their personal circumstances, their health, their financial situation. Take that into consideration because you can be abused uh, as a senior citizen if you're a month before the age of 65 or or a, a month after. What we're saying in the legislation today is that there's a difference. If you have two 25-year-olds get into a fistfight with each other, it's not the same thing uh, as a 25-year-old going after an 80-year-old. And so what we're saying is uh, have a look at these circumstances. Now, one of the big problems with elder abuse is that it's seriously underreported, and it's often underreported because it involves 
a person in a position of trust, a loved one. How do you think these tougher sentencing guidelines will help change that? Again, this is one one part of, of a larger strategy. You may, for instance, have noticed that the federal government is running ads on television, for instance, uh, that specifically highlight uh, elder abuse. And this is part of our overall initiative to raise public awareness uh, that this uh, kind of activity does take place. I hear about it more and more as I go across this country when I sit down with law enforcement agents, uh, agencies, when I meet uh, victims groups, more and more they're telling me that that uh, seniors become targeted either by scam artists and, as you say, uh, many times there are individuals in a position of trust. But nonetheless, I think there really is a greater awareness of this. Uh, we all have a stake in this. Okay. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. This issue is at the very top of the agenda for CARP, a new vision of aging. Susan Eng, vice president of advocacy, was also at the announcement, and here's her take. We're certainly happy that the sentencing for elder abuse is going to be increased, but we hasten to say that it's not enough by itself. But I think it's massively important for a Minister of the Crown to stand up in Parliament and say, look, the crime of elder abuse is abhorrent and I'm going to do something about it. I think that will show some federal leadership and it will force the provinces to step up to the bar as well, to bring forward investigative resources, prosecution, you know, sensitize the Crown prosecutors and the judges to the issue. So I think that it will start, I hope, a process of much more attention to elder abuse. How will this uh, increase the number of these crimes that are actually reported, and or will it? I think it will increase reporting. I, I think that it can only help to make sure that people realize that if someone is caught and convicted, there will be heavier consequences. I think that might stir some people to actually, uh, you know, to report that they might not otherwise because they know there will be a consequence. And it will also start the conversation in homes and communities across the country that this is something that the government is taking seriously that should be taken seriously. So if it's not quite enough, what would you have liked to see in addition to this? Well, I I think I would have liked to see our entire elder abuse strategy put on the table, including additional resources to prosecute these things, to investigate, to encourage people to complain and report, uh, to provide victim services. There's very little across the country. And it is true that sometimes the stress in a family causes this kind of thing, and I would look for more support in that direction as well. You can find more information on CARP's elder abuse strategy at carp.ca. I'm Libby Snymer, and you're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review. It was Fashion Week here in Toronto, and Canada's top designers were here to show off their newest collections. But is there anything for a fashionable Zoomer to wear? In a moment, I'll talk to Suzanne Boyd about fashion's youth obsession and why that's starting to change. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by Chartwell Seniors Housing, making people's lives better. Welcome back to the Zoomer Week in Review. I'm Libby Snymer. Here in Toronto, it was Fashion Week this week, and if there's any industry that's obsessed with youth, it's the fashion industry. Here in the studio, I'm joined by Suzanne Boyd, 
the editor-in-chief of Zoomer magazine and also the fashionista-in-chief. Welcome, (laughs) Suzanne. Thank you. Nice to be here. Is the fashion industry waking up to the power of Zoomers? I think so. A couple years ago, Helen Mirren said, all I want for Christmas is a dress with long sleeves. And I think think that started the ball rolling. Sure. I think... um, Over the last couple of years, you've seen the use of older models because people realize that the youth cannot actually buy the clothing that's being advertised. And um, I think also what's been interesting is that in England, there's a law against over-retouch ads. They've pulled several ads off the market that they felt were too retouched. So I think we are are seeing these positive changes. Now in fashion, you see some fashion heroes or heroines who are older, in some cases much older, Mm. but they're like a quirky, eccentric thing. Like for, Mm. there's a woman named Iris Apple, am I pronouncing it right? Iris Apple, yes. And she just did a line of makeup for MAC Cosmetics. She's considered the most iconic fashionista in New York, and she's in her 80s or maybe 90s even. I think she's in her 90s, and she she wears these huge, Mm. round, black glasses Mm -hmm. and, and very quirky clothes, but it's not something mainstream. It's almost like a curiosity. Yeah, and fashion always likes extremes. You're not a fashion icon unless you're very extreme in some way. But I think what we're seeing in, in on the more natural sphere, believe it or not, Vogue magazine, they had Meryl Streep on the cover. She was their oldest ever cover model, 62, and she didn't look very retouched. She was wearing a shirt, waist dress, something most people could relate to. Um, very figure friendly and flattering. So, but I think there's a much more of a of of a way women and men can see themselves reflected back through the fashion industry in a way that you couldn't really see before. What would you like to see the fashion industry or parts of it do to become more Zoomer friendly? Um, maybe um, in terms of the marketing and advertising, they need to speak to. Um, they need to speak to this demographic where they are. Um, we shouldn't have to look so hard. Just for the sense of inclusiveness, and, you know, fashion has become so egalitarian, but let's really prove it by sort of doing more marketing and advertising that so where we can see ourselves reflected, and I think it will be good for everyone. I think a lot of fashion magazines are trying to catch up. They do the age issue. You know, right now there's a the Barneys, or I think it's Bird Dove's campaign, has Penelope Tree, who's a model in her 60s. You know, Carmen, the 75-year-old model, still works and gets hired. Um, a lot of the, like the Hollywood heartthrob, George Clooney, he has gray hair, you know. So I, I think there's a lot of other positive signs out there that there's it's not as exclusionary as it used to be. I don't think there's the tyranny of youth in quite the same way because of how the demographic is changing. And we, you know, there's really no choice anymore. <laughs> that's that's good. Uh, so just one more thing before wrap up. So uh, it seems to be spring. So what are the key pieces for spring? Wow. Well, um, pattern, 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 a floral head-to-toe suit. So I guess a lot of us could pull it out of our wardrobe from (laughs) the 60s or 70s. Um, Lots of floral, lots of pastels. Um, Pants are a big thing, again. And um, white shoes, white pumps. White pumps. Yes, absolutely. Okay. And you can wear them after Labor Day now. (laughs) Yes. So says Mark Jacobs. Okay. Suzanne Boyd, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. You can get more tips and inspiration for spring fashion at zoomermag.com. I'm Libby Snymer, and you're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review. Start spreading the news. 
It was on this day in 1939 that Frank Sinatra made his first ever solo recording. In just a moment, we'll hear some of that song as well as one of his all-time greatest hits. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by Chartwell Seniors Housing, making people's lives better. It was on this day, March 18, 1939, that Frank Sinatra made his first demo recording. It was a song called Our Love, and he recorded it with the Frank Main Band in a private New York studio. Months after recording Our Love, Sinatra was hired by Harry James and his big band orchestra on a one-year contract at a rate of $75 a week. However, in November 1939, Sinatra was approached by Tommy Dorsey to join his orchestra. Tommy Dorsey's orchestra was the hottest act in America at the time, and in a decision that sealed Sinatra's fate, Harry James agreed to release him from his contract so that he could tour with Dorsey. The rest, as they say, is history. Sinatra quickly went on to become a big star, recording countless hit singles and charming film audiences with his boyish good looks and big blue eyes. In 1958, he released what is now one of his most popular albums, Come Fly With Me. The album quickly went to number one on the charts and stayed there for five weeks. It was also nominated for Album of the Year in the inaugural Grammy Awards. The record was designed to reflect a tour around the world as it featured such hits as Autumn in New York, Moonlight in Vermont, April in Paris, and Blue Hawaii. But nothing swings as much as the opening track. Here's Frank Sinatra singing Come Fly With Me. Come fly with me, let's fly, let's fly away Let's fly away That was Frank Sinatra with his iconic hit, Come Fly With Me. Sinatra's career began on this day in 1939 with the demo recording of Our Love. That brings us to the end of this edition of the Zoomer Weekend Review. I'm Libby Snymer. Thanks for joining me today. I hope you'll be here next week when we talk gardening. With all the nice weather we've been having, it's time to hear about the top trends in horticulture for the coming season. See you then. This has been an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review, heard every Sunday at noon on AM 740 Zoomer Radio. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air. 
and The Garden Show.